Hi everyone and welcome to Culture Tasters, your weekly sample of today's creative industries. Each of our episodes is focused on a specific industry like film, visual arts, fashion, music, culinary, and even performing arts. My name is Raquel Sarabranig, joined by my co-host Alfredo Achar. We will be guiding you through changes and shifts that are affecting these industries and interview the stakeholders and key players making those changes happen. On today's episode, we will be talking about how content creation in entertainment and fashion is now driven by data and analytics. We will also be talking about the transition from analog and print to digital platforms and the importance of an artist and a brand's presence online. We're so excited to speak to our esteemed guest, Daniel Poller, director and editor of content at Condé Nast. We're so excited to have Daniel Poller here today join us. Hi, Raquel. Hi, Danielle. It's such a pleasure to welcome you. And we just want to, you know, dive in, get to know you a little bit better, talk about what you're passionate about, your career at Condé Nast, as well as a filmmaker. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself, how you started, where you're at now, and maybe a fun fact about you as well. And what you're passionate about. Oh, my God. As you know, I'm originally from Venezuela. I've been passionate about filmmaking all of my life. Finally, I went to college for film uh, for film and TV and also art history. In graduating, I was expecting I'm going to be in, in cinema. You know, I'm going to be a PA. I'm going to go that, the ladder, the typical ladder of film and eventually become a film director. And the reality was not. I, I was faced with, with something completely different. I, I was faced with a new world of options that college didn't prepare me for. When I say that is, I'm talking about the beginnings uh, and the rise of, of YouTube, right? The rise of, of, com- of, of this type of fast content. That's when I was faced with uh, an, a career in a, a job opening at, at Condé Nast. Uh, which at that time it was the be- it, it, it was the beginning of what of, of a side of the company that was called Condenas Entertainment, right? And Condenas Entertainment was going to be at that time it, it it was just a test. It was like oh, Condenas said we have all of these brands, all of these um, yeah we have Vogue, we have Vanity Fair, we have GQ, all, we have all of these audiences. How about we if we start putting more money into this? To, to start creating channels out of these uh, brands. And, and that's when uh, Condé Nast Entertainment was uh, started and I was lucky that I was able to be a part of it from start. And they said, okay, you can use your, your filmmaking experience. For us, we want to make, uh, at that time, people weren't doing like high, let's say like high quality content for, for fast content, for digital fast content, right? I, it was a, a new wave of filmmaking per se, if you could say that, where we decided let's make, as I said, high quality, fast content to create bingeable formats that will help us build new audiences for, for these brands. And I obviously, I 100% feel like Condé Nast was at the vanguard of, of that sort of fast content, uh, digital fast content movement 
that now it's obviously so common. From the moment you came into the workforce, right, and you started your professional your journey up till now, and, and you touched a little bit on this, what have you seen that has changed the most in the filmmaking industry as well as the content industry? And then maybe what should people be learning now, right? Because it's changing so fast and there's so many new platforms to create content or fast content in. You need to catch people's attention. So how is that affecting the industry? So, so that's the learning curve that we did at, at Conley, right? From, from the start, we were like, how can we maximize and, and not en engagement in, in, in with a, with, with attention spans how we can it now you know it's always you always want to look away from the screen how can we maximize screen time um, for our audiences how can we build the perfect frame for audiences to not look away and and how can we edit and how can we build the perfect formats and the perfect edit form uh, editing formats that will keep this uh, our audience engagement uh, engagement to the max and obviously, we had a lot of uh, data that, that was feeding us all of this information. And, and to answer your question about what we should be in the lookout or what's changing now, I think, is accessibility. I feel like now it's so easy to create content and to, to create high-quality content um, as opposed to before. Before, you needed a huge crew and you needed... Uh, an amazing DP. If you you want to look, you want something to look great. Now you don't. Now cameras are so advanced that all you need is a good camera. With with natural lighting, you can have something amazing. So you have all of these YouTubers, all of these influencers that are creating great, interesting things, but at a pace that before it wasn't possible. That's obviously affecting everything. It's it's a chain of of events that teaching audiences to be on the lookout for something new every second you know what i mean like you're expecting to have a new movie every now we get a new release every every week you, you can see a new trailer for something that's coming up that looks amazing as before that was every three months every four months and before it was years and now it's like oh there's a new trailer every day for a new movie and there's a new video that looks amazing every day or and you and feel, and you feel the pressure to like i don't know you feel anxiety when there's nothing new coming up or right you, right like, for weeks it's like almost what's happening <laughs> what right are so, exactly so now what we're doing is we're we entered we're already entering this thing it's called uh, content saturation there's a lot of content there's a lot of things fighting for our attention constantly. Um, and obviously there's that whole, you know, rabbit hole about uh, how, every, uh, you know, how everybody's using data to try and, and, and be and, and, and gain your attention, right? Um, like that in Netflix uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma explains, right? So, and, and that's obviously completely that's 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 attached to to filmmaking deep now it's not only about now all the content looks pretty it's easy to make something that looks pretty so concept needs to be impeccable it needs to for, for it to stand out now it's not anymore about something that looks pretty now it's more about something that needs to resonate with the audience in deeper ways that nothing before has and it's tougher, right? It's it's definitely tough. It's it became a tougher game, but and and in and within the saturation of content, you also obviously you see a lot of 
bad stuff, but you also see a lot of amazing things coming coming out, forcing people to push their boundaries on what content creation is. And I, it's I, pretty tough. I, I think what you're saying is really interesting. I do think that kind of like going back to that, like saturation of content, I think it, it also brings some sort of like issues as a viewer to like take into account like, what am I, what I'm going to see and if it's going to be worth my time and if it's going to be worth um, yeah. like my attention. And I think that's talking again about Netflix. I think that's what Netflix might be starting to struggle with, at least in like with what, what I've been talking about with people that they're releasing one new movie for every week of 2021. And, yeah. and, and it's insane because they're just throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. Right, right, exactly. But, but for them, it's not that. For them, Netflix, their model is actually, it's a very, very smart model that HBO is try, struggling to, to, to imitate. Everyone's trying to imitate Netflix model. What they do is more, it's like, a, a, like the scientific method. method. They're, they're experimenting. They're like, as you said, they're throwing, they're literally, okay, it's like, oh, you think you can create stuff? We're going to like, I'll beat you because we have yeah. the money. We're gonna create something every day, and something, and and from that we they're and they're studying you, they're studying all of us, and and that's how their content is is you know it's gonna if when they have something great they're gonna have they, they when they have this little jewel it's gonna be amazing like uh, something a good example of that obviously is the gambit uh, the queen's gambit. gambit. Right, so the story behind behind how that came to be is impressive, right? Like how all the it, it's it's part of uh, Netflix learning curves. Even if it was a, a script that that was written, I think a long time ago, obviously Netflix's learning curve improved that that script into being the the, the thing it is. That the, how and and even if, let's say you didn't like it, it hit. So it, it, it surpassed, it, it obviously beat a record on, on viewership. It, it did something impressive that before it would have been impossible, but Netflix is dominating this model of, all right, they, they're drawing, they're creating bad, bad stuff here, bad stuff there, but they, they hit it with Gambit Queen. Yeah. They would, everything they learn with that is going to be repeated with something else. They're catering to each of each, each person. It's yeah, ridiculous. they even have like, like separate, like wallpaper, like posters for each of their shows to like cater for like if, for different yeah, audiences. For like yeah, they know who, they know something. what you like, so you're gonna see your obviously your your main your homepage is gonna be different than my homepage, and they're gonna show you what they study from you, and that's how content is created now. It's as uh, back to that Netflix documentary, uh, the social dilemma. Content is now catered individually, if if you could say that, right? Um, what is the fine line? What is the fine line between decision making in terms of artistry and, cre and creativity and, you know, quote unquote, real filmmaking and then commercial decisions? Like what drives the content nowadays? Is it more, I guess, what's your opinion on that? It's, it, uh, my opinion is obviously there is a space for let's say there's a space for a tour filmmaking, right? For Carax, Julian Carax and his style, style of cinema, or I don't know, Aki Kurismaki, right? Right? Like there's a space for that pure art, 
purely artistic filmmaking that is completely untamed by any commercial decision. It's the purest form of, yeah, maybe indie filmmaking. And that's fits in, that that's that fits in a, in a in a box for a certain audience then you obviously have netflix filmmaking right they're not fighting the future and by that i mean they're integrating with commercial decisions they're integrating analytics with art with artistic decisions too because if you have a pure form it's a, a really good example of this is maniac have you guys seen that show yeah yeah they are so So that show took a, an amazing creative voice like Kari Fukunaga, right? And it also took most of, the, of, of Netflix um, for, uh, format analytics, right? Like the, Netflix wanted to build the perfect format and they used this show as an experiment for it. And that show, which I think it's amazing, I think it's brilliant. It's the combination of of Netflix um, analytics formats and, and Kari Fukunaga's creative voice. I feel like that's the future. That's uh, what we want to head. We want to try to, if we try to fight this new type of filmmaking that's in a way dictated by some data, if we try to fight it, uh, we end up with this pure artistic filmmaking that something for very specific audiences, right? For, for criterion, the Criterion Collection, for me, like that's the film, cinema I, I enjoy and that, that I like. But I think it's, it's a very small audience right now yeah. and, and it's getting smaller every day. Some of the best films are always, and, and I always say the best creative decisions happen when there are limitations. When you're, and they tell, if they tell you, do whatever you want, right? Whatever you want. Most people will just do something that doesn't even make any sense. And that's a, that's a mess. And that's something they fail at teaching at art school. Most of the times is they, yeah. they say, Oh, you're special. Just write whatever you want. And they don't give you any limitations. And I feel like this, uh, and when somebody gives you limitations, that's when true, that's, that's some of the best movies that I've seen actually come from limitations. Even if you think uh, I, oh, this is a, uh, a silly but uh, recent example is Whiplash, right? It's a very simple movie. It's simple because it's just surrounded with limitations. Um, Damien Chazelle said like, you know, I want the movie to happen like this in this setup and I don't want to go outside of this setup. Most of the great stuff happens within limitations. So who cares if your limitations are dictated by, by data? right if you create if you're creative enough and creative about it you can integrate them this leads me into a, a important subject which is executive um, now you can fight executive notes so this is as a filmmaker you always get notes right and and a bunch of the times notes are stupid come and and you, and you don't understand when they're coming from they're, they could come from an executive producer that have no idea that doesn't really know That, that just, I don't know, has a very old fashioned way of thinking and he can give you a note and you can say, you know, actually I have the data here that proves that if we do what you're saying, we're going to lose a lot, this amount of people, this amount of viewers. So perhaps we go with this note that makes more sense that it's dictated by a machine <laughs> going to make this project have a bigger audience. Yes, sure, it's a limitation, but I'm going to be creative about it. But if you like, If filmmakers start thinking like that, they're going to have a higher chance of creating content that's going to be seen. Does that, that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I want to go back to talk about, you know, YouTube and Instagram and all of this kind of like fast content platforms. How are creators and filmmakers utilizing them right now as tools, you know, and how is that affecting their own artistry? And then how can people take advantage of that to then further their own, you know, big projects as well? So they're obviously amazing tools. They're not easy to handle um, as they, they, can, they, they can seem easy on the outside, but obviously all of the logistics of how to grow impressions in them, that's all extremely complex. And sometimes there's people that's lucky, famous on Instagram or get famous on YouTube. Sometimes there are people that are extremely talented and pay attention how how the logistics of these platforms work and they gain success through them. But they're a very powerful tool to gain exposure. I think that's one of the most important things you can gain from them. They're also a very powerful tool for storytelling. Obviously YouTube is because it's a video platform, but Instagram can be that as well. You have to really pay attention to this because that's where that's where your audiences are. That's where people are all the time. Like um, yeah, the key of, 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 of these platforms is to start building audiences. Um, just like we did at, at, at Com there with, with, obviously we had a big names. Like, you know, we started, we, we said like, uh, let's start building audience. A digital, a, a digital video audience for, for Vogue, for example, um, which when I started didn't have many followers on their YouTube page. It's it, it, right, we could pull, we have their name, we could pull some of the audiences or, that already read the magazine or are, were on our Instagram pages. We can pull, try to pull them, but it wasn't enough. We want, you know, to, we wanted to be where we are today with this plat, with this uh, channels, how we can maximize our outreach, our, our CDRs, or all these things that people should really pay attention to. And, and, and we did, and obviously it evolved to what we what it is today. So I feel like taking advantage of um, social of, of your social media tools. If you don't if you don't exist online as an artist or filmmaker, do you exist? Right. That's the question. That's that's the truth. Like um, who it's it's if you're happy creating art for yourself be be my guest like that's fine yeah. i'm not gonna uh i'm not obviously gonna judge you but if you are creating art that you want it to be seen it's that's the a only point way. of art kind of yeah well, right yeah, there's no point in being an artist and not being an artist of your time you mm -hmm. know like delving in that ultra romanticized is very bohemian type of thinking right like it's not gonna make anyone successful or right here's a personal so so for me it's I, I say all these things but the truth is that i very rarely pay attention to my social media i definitely curate curate my social media but the reality is that i could be much better if i pay attention paid attention to my social media i do all of this things with celebrities all the time I'm with I'm working for these big um, brands all the time and I never share what I do in my social media for me personally I feel like oh no 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 I want my real art to be on a not be on Instagram I want my art to to be on cinemas or I want my art to be at least on on, on streaming services it, it I know it's contradictory for me to think like that and say the opposite <laughs> 
and promote the opposite. But there's something, and I feel like what happens to me happens to a lot of artists where they're like, no, I want my art to be in a gallery. I don't want my art to be on Instagram. And the truth is that I have to start paying more attention to, to social media, that I have to start adapting to promoting my work, to selling myself, right? Which I know is a subject that you deal a lot with, Raquel. Could seem easy, but it's yeah. complicated. Oh, it's true. It's like you look, and, you look at an artist nowadays and the first thing you do is, okay, let me go check the, the Instagram, right? Yeah. How many right, so, right. Like, is it worth it? Is, is he legit because this, he has followers? Yeah, right. if I hang this in my room, are people yeah. gonna... It's almost like a, like a currency. Exactly. Yeah, like NFT. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, you're measured by how many followers you have. And not only by that, then how many of those followers are active in your community? Right. Well, I, I think also... It could be that the whole thing is fake. Yeah. But as long as you have that community of people that believe in that... It's not fake for them. Yeah. So that's the issue. Something that happens a lot is because of the saturation of content, let's say, let's talk about photography, for example, um, because of the saturation of content that's uh, going on, it's, and, and this obviously happens to me, I, I look at photography in Instagram and wow, beautiful, amazing photos, amazing, amazing photos. And I always think like, because there's billions, trillions, I don't know how many, <laughs> I feel like Trump saying that, uh, but because there's <laughs> billions of, of, of amazing photographies on Instagram, should I still, does that devaluate photography? Because there's, because now everybody can make an amazing thing, can take an amazing photography. Cheap cameras can take an amazing photos without even having any knowledge of lighting or composition. I think that's something, that's a big question that a lot of people are asking now um, that I'm asking as well. Um, that could also even apply to film. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it, that this is uh, just an example. Um, yeah, it can apply to film. It's like with there's so many amazing films like does that devaluate um yeah or, my, or even, even the fact that you can like take your phone and you have those like tangerine uh, that it was shot in an iphone 5 film is splitting right like I, as i said i always call i call it like there's fast con fast digital content and then there is um cinema or yeah, yeah. Or, 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 or or yeah like you it's splitting it's harsh it's very hardly splitting into into short form and long form as at some point it was you, you could have cinematic uh short form and cinematic long form but now it there is it's going to split to the point that there's people that are going to be solely dedicated to short form and people that are solely dedicated to, to long form. And it's going to be almost impossible to move from, from, from across those two, if that makes sense. I was thinking, going back to content as entertainment, we had uh, before in film like DVDs and now we don't have DVDs. Like, do you see that for a magazine like Vogue or Vanity Fair or GQ? Is it having a... Um, like that big of a name, is it having a, like a YouTube channel, like necessary for them, like staying relevant? It is 100. It's imperative. It's, it's, it's extremely important because there's a digital shift. Print might slowly become a luxury and, and digital yeah. will become the norm, which is what happens, you know, it's the, the analog versus digital, right? Most audiences are, if not already, 
online and the people you can reach with print are not the audiences you can reach with print are not even remotely close to what you can reach online there's obviously all the politics all the politics behind how how you're going to monetize uh in different regions of the world it's 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 extremely important for for brands to have a big dependency on their digital or counterparts well danny thank you so much for being with us today yeah. it was such a pleasure you know do you have any recommendations on movies books where, where can people find you on online if you want to drop that in also um people can find me nowhere as i said no, in, you don't in, in, exist. no i don't exist um no <laughs> that's the conclusion of the podcast the conclusion of the podcast <laughs> that i preach something that i don't believe in no i'm kidding um but uh yeah no my instagram handle is actually depolar uh but movies uh great recent films because i could talk about old films for uh, for an eternity I just saw um, a movie called Nobody. Have you heard of it? Yeah, yeah. The writer Bob, Bob Odenkirk, no? Yeah, Bob Odenkirk, the writer from uh, John Wick, the director from Hardcore Henry, who used to direct music videos. And and I'm I, I like action films. I'm not a big fan of, of those. Um, but and I remember I enjoyed John Wick one, John Wick the other ones I did not like at all. But this movie felt fresh felt like a it it had the same had a very the same idea behind John Wick it had this, the very same idea from most uh, action movies nowadays and it gave it a very fresh spin it felt very original and and it's and as I know, as you said you were talking about it at some point it's hard to find a film that that comes from such a niche genre to feel fresh yeah and I felt like it, I was surprised I was very surprised with that film um now now i'm curious that you mentioned um like older films like do you have a favorite movie or no it's impossible to ask a filmmaker about a favorite some film. Film, uh, so like I, some of your I, favorites some of and this is not an older movie i i'm obsessed with this film it's called uncut gems yeah it's not old um but wow that film hits my heart it, for me that's a perfect movie Uh, it just has everything I want in a movie. Older films. There's this. It's 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 wow. This film is is it's it's incredible. It's it's it's. Uh, I saw it when I was little and and did not care much about it. And I just saw it recently, and it just rose to the top of my favorite film list. It's called Knights of Caviria. Caviria. By by Fellini. Mm -hmm. That that movie definitely stood the test of time and. And wow, every every scene, every character is is so rich. Fellini was definitely a master. So yeah, that, that would be my recommendation. Knights of Caviria. Thank you so oh. much. Wait, did you t did you say your Instagram account? We really yeah. cannot finish this podcast without you saying. Your, your I said. I said. Did? Yeah. yeah. Instagram is the did I just holder. like log that out of my mind? Did that happened. Hi Raquel. Yes. Yeah, that happened. Oh my God, you just sewn <laughs> out the entire the entire podcast. I Raquel, she was like that in college. It was a, a pleasure meeting you, Alfredo. Same. And, Same. and a pleasure meeting you. What's your name? Uh, Ra Ra Raquel. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into Culture Tasters. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and to follow us on Instagram at Culture Tasters.
This podcast is produced by Raquel Srebrenik and me, Alfred Achar. We thank you for your support and see you next time.